the recording this time. So if you want to turn to Judges chapter 1, here's what I like to do when we're going through the text. Um, first, I like to read it and then follow these this kind of method, and that is narrate or summarize. So we'll read it and then I'll ask a couple people, like, what did you hear? What just happened? And if you would just quickly summarize what we just read. Factually, you don't have to get into theology, just like, okay, this guy said this and that, just kind of narrate. Then, um, what did you notice? Uh, my question there is, what did you observe? What stood out to you? What did you, what uh, kind of hit you in the text that, uh, you, as, as we read it this time, or maybe uh, preparing for the class? What does that remind you of? So that's the synthetic thought, like, what connections did you make? What what other passages or stories did that think make you think of? And then wonder is the question like, hey, any questions that we have? Like, well, I wonder why this or that. And there might be an answer in the text or another text, or we might just have to wonder about that. And um, I think that's good, too, to really get us thinking deeper uh, as we go through. So that'll be. And then uh, as we go through that, I'll throw in my observations after you guys have had the chance to share yours um, and uh, we can go through the text. I feel like my my philosophy on a Bible class is that we should use the word to educate ourselves. Uh, use this, Let the Spirit educate us. So I don't want to get in your way. Uh, so let's uh, read Judges chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 19 first and talk about that. Paul, would you mind to read that? After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Which tribe should go up first to attack the Canaanites? The Lord answered, answered, Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. The men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, Join us, join with us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Then we will help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. When the men of Judah attacked, the Lord gave them victory over the Canaanites and Perizzites, and they killed 10,000 enemy warriors at the town of Bezek. While at Bezek, they encountered King Adonai Bezek and fought against him, and the Canaanites and Perizzites were defeated. Adonai Bezek escaped, but the Israelites soon captured him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adonai Bezek said, I once had 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, eating scraps from under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. So they took him to Jerusalem, and he died there. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and captured it, killing all of its people and setting the city on fire. Then they went down to fight the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev, and the western foothills. Judah marched against the Canaanites in Hebron, formerly called Kerjath Arba, defeating the forces of Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai. From there they went to fight against the people living in the town of Debir, formerly called Kerjath Sefer. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Askath in marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kerjath Sefer. Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz, was the one who conquered it. So, As- so Aksath became Othniel's wife. Then Aksa married Othniel. She urged him to ask her father for a field. She got down off her donkey, and Caleb asked her, What's the matter? She said, Let me have another gift. You have already given me the land of the Negev. Now please give me the springs of water too. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. 
When the tribe of Judah left Jericho, the city of Palms, the Kenites, who were the descendants of Moses' father-in-law, traveled with them into the wilderness of Judah. They settled among the people there, near the town of Arad in the Negev. Then Judah joined with Simeon to fight against the Canaanites living in Zephthah, and they completely destroyed the town, so the town was named Horma. In addition, Judah captured the towns of Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, along with their surrounding territories. The Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. Okay. All right, so um, we start out with, after the death of Joshua, uh, somebody just summarize what happens next. Israelites asked God, okay, who gets to go fight first? God said, Judah. And then Judah said to Simeon, hey, you want to go fight? They said yes, and then they went and they conquered everybody. Okay, good, good. All right, Any, uh, anyone, anybody want to add anything to that that you noticed or want to summarize? I, I yeah, boy. I noticed that they got off to a good start. They, they start off, and I think Caleb must have had a lot to do with this, but they start and they take care of the inhabitants of the land. Good, good. Yeah, and um, they start with the right question, right? Yeah. They're asking God what they should do. So that's the first verse of Judges. The last verse of Judges says they had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. So we're going to see that journey from, hey, God, what should we do next? To Everyone's just doing whatever they want to do. What else did you notice? I know that Judah asked for help from Simeon. Um, I find that interesting just because if God gave them, like, I'm with you, and they're like, well, I need my friend, like, I need these guys with me too. So I found that pretty interesting. Right, yeah, that was one of the questions that I had was, uh, it seems like um, they asked God who should go fight the Canaanites first. God said Judah, and then Judah turns around and is like, "Okay, anybody want to go with me? Um, I'll help you if you help me." So I guess my question was: was was that authorized? Uh, is there anything in the text that would say one way or another on that? Well, they won. So the combined force went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands and the Lord gave these guys into their hands. So right. He didn't, God didn't turn back like at AI and say, oh, you, you, you have fun with that yet. Right. That wasn't his thing. And, and I'm wondering if because of how the tribe of Simeon is sort of absorbed into the tribe of Judah, in their territory and otherwise if it was kind of like we're all fighting for the same bit of ground anyways but right yeah that question of yeah, yeah is that okay to for them to have done that was another one that leads. yeah yeah any other thoughts on that yeah boy <laughs> they didn't just ask anybody i don't think i mean simeon and judah are right there together so i, I think um I mean, they didn't ask somebody up in northern Israel to, uh, to go with them, but they asked the people that uh, were 
in the in the territory with them. The yeah. Same territory like. Yep. Is what other connection might there be with Reuben and Simeon? They're the closest brothers. Right. They are full brothers, right? So Jacob had several wives, and these two boys were born from the same mother, right? So so there is even a familial connection there that's stronger. I don't know what to make of it, but it seems like he's made some sort of deal because it says, uh, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We, in turn, will go with you into yours. Right. And so they kind of make yeah. a deal. <clears throat> help us take ours, we'll take yours. Exactly, so good. I don't know if that's sanctioned or anything. But. Right, yeah, I don't know if that changes um, the instruction at all. Um, but yeah, good good observation. Yeah, sir. I, no- I noticed that they were renaming a lot of places, or... I don't know if they were renaming them. You were Kiriath Arba, now you are Hebron, and it's happening now. Or if they're, if it's more of a historical note, this is the place that used to be, and now we're, now it's called this. You know, or if it's um, something that's being done deliberately, and then I would have to wonder why. And yeah. Then I would have to do a word study, but you know, you got that for us. <laughs> Right, yeah, so let me add that to the questions for Tommy in here. Um, yeah, I, I am not 100% sure on all of the name changes, but I know um, <clears throat> to, to take something and then rename it yourself um, is, is uh, pretty significant. Um, and to, to call it what you want to call it um, based on the significance of the, the victory or whatever. They kind of disappoint you when they get down these iron chariots. I mean, they, they, right, yeah, yeah. Um, before we go there, somebody remind me and hold that thought, Boyd, because I do want to talk about the iron chariots. Uh, somebody uh, summarize what happened with Adonai Bezek. Um, yeah, what you got? They, were, they fought against him and succeeded. But uh, I had that feeling of uh, how harsh the punishment was. They cut off all the thumbs and toes. And so that is something nowadays we hear only in the Muslim countries when that kind oh. of punishment yeah, yeah. still practicing in some of the Muslim countries. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. I did not know that. But um, that was one of my questions. Like, why... Why cut off his thumbs and his thumbs and his toes? What's when? What? What do you think about that? Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Oh, okay, right. Without the, without the thumb, you don't the ability to grip a sword or a spear. You would no longer be a, an effective warrior. And I think the big toes, similarly, um, because it would alter your balance and your ability to. Know, run and keep your sandals on and, and whatever, sure. you know. Uh, sure, yeah. And you might die of an infection anyway, so, oh well. Right, right, yeah. Definitely, uh, without the opposing thumb, you can't hold a sword, so that limits that, and you probably can't run as fast without your big toes. Yeah, they wanted to make sure they will not be capable of fighting again. Anymore. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that that's good. Why? What do you see in the text, though? What does what does Adonai Bezek think? And he started to he said seventy people, and so he got his back. Right. So he comments, and he has his own interpretation of that. Right. Um, we might call that karma, uh, or you might call it, and Tommy would be proud. What would he call it, Isaiah? Lex talionis, right? The eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Um, When God executes justice, he does it in a very poetic way. And he takes things like, oh, you think it's fun to cut off the thumbs and toes of your enemies. Well, guess what? You're going to be missing your thumbs and your toes. And he recognizes, yep, that is... Uh, that's why you did this to me. I had 70 kings <laughs> under my table picking up scraps um, with no thumbs and no toe, big toes, right? Imagine how hard that would be to pick up scraps. Yeah, I, you couldn't wow. pick it up like this. You'd have to, uh, yeah. Yeah, you'd, like you'd, you'd have to, yeah, I don't know. What were you going to say, Lloyd? Smart Smart. like a crab. Yeah. <laughs> 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 got to go cling on on it. Yeah. Um. So, so what do you think about that? Well, he realized God did that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Where Where does he say that? Um. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. Good. Mm-hmm. So, so do you think is that sanctioning this? Decision to do that to the king? To, to this king, I mean, you know, big toe for big toe. Right, that, right, kinda, good. So eye for I, an eye, a toe for a toe. I like yeah, it. I don't think it's. I don't think it's like a, a blanket um, permission that whenever you capture a king in battle, you know that. Cut off the toes, cut off the thumbs is like the first thing. Right, yeah. So somebody said that this could be viewed as the first step toward becoming like the nations around them. Uh, Worshipping their gods, adopting their cruel tactics. Um, And God even uses those cruel tactics to execute justice. So we know that uh, God can use that on people who are even more wicked. But, um, I don't know, I, I thought that was interesting. I hadn't really thought of that until um, uh, I heard that perspective, that maybe this was not the kindest thing that Israel could have done in that situation. Uh, and at some point, you're becoming like the people that you are saying you, you find to be wicked, right, and evil. Um, and any other thoughts about Adonai Bezek? Well, they say they scared his life for some reason. Life. Right. Yep. Yep. They did spare his life, and and again, that's that's going to become even more. Um, he ended up. Di- he, they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Micah? I said, kind of. They kind of just tortured him. True. Tortured him to death. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'd call that sparing his life. Right. I think he might have rather just been killed. 
Good. Can I just? Yes, sir. These Muslims and all Christians don't say what who are talked about here. What time frame is he talking about? Very important. What time frame? Yes. Yeah. So this is um, maybe forty, fifty, sixty years after coming out of Egypt. Yeah. So after Moses died, and now this is after Joshua died, so I'm not real sure how long, maybe they might know how long Joshua lived past Moses. So you take the... Would have been 40-ish. So maybe 80 years after uh, so Egypt. So how many years after B.C.? Uh, it'd be like 1300. Yeah, 1500, 1300, 1500 BC. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, did, I guess this is the Iron Age. Hmm. Oh, all right, because some of the things described about the Christians in Oh yeah, these are not Christians. These are this is the Israelite nation. Right. These are Jews. So this is um, a. A thousand so years before Christ. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, this this is a thousand year, thirteen hundred years before Jesus was born. So this is the Israelite nation. Yeah. Yes, sir. Good question. Good question. Okay. Um, any anything else on that? Um. So then uh, let's pick up, um, it says in verse 8 that the men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and took it. They put the city to the sword and set it on fire, which is interesting because in verse 21, they don't, own, they don't have Jerusalem. So if you look at verse 21, uh, the Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. So, um, so, so maybe they attacked it, they took it, but they didn't drive out the inhabitants. They let them stay there, which, again, is going to be become a trend. Um, but that I don't know any more about that um, at this time. I know that David comes back later in the time of the kings, and uh, Joab is it Joab that climbs up the cistern and sneaks in and attacks and conquers Jer Jerusalem. And then they get rid of, uh, it's, it's really called Jebus at this time, and the Jebusites live there, so they get rid of them and rename the city Jerusalem. Um, okay. Um, now, verses 9 through 15, uh, so there's... Um, after that, what does Judah do? Somebody uh, remind me, summarize the, the next section. They fought against giants. Okay. Um, they go to fight against who in general first? Folks, the Canaanites and Hebron. Right, the Canaanites. Okay. Um, living in the hill country, um, the Negev and the western foothills. 
so they advance against uh, Hebron or Hebron and uh, Debir. Um, what um, what do you does do those remind you of any thing Hebron and Debir, especially in in Joshua, the book of Joshua? Where'd our map go? I know we need our map up here. We really do. Well, Hebron was one of six of these types of cities. Cities of refuge. Uh, turn over to chapter 10, Joshua chapter 10, um, verse 36 and 37. So if you remember, one of my favorite stories from Joshua is the Gibeonites. Chapter 10, when the Gibeonites have... Um, formed this alliance, all the kings around them attacked them. The kings of Hebron and Debir. Okay. Um, verse 36, it says, Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city and put it to the sword together with its king, its villages, and everyone in it. They left no survivors, just as at Eglon they totally destroyed it. Then Joshua and all Israel around him attacked Debir. They took that city with its king and villages and put them to the sword. Everyone in it they totally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did to Debir and its king as they had done to Libna and its king and to Hebron. So here's where the timeline I wonder about. I'm not real sure about this, but um, if they killed everyone in it, who are they fighting against now in Judges? Who is Judah attacking? Anybody know? (laughs) The, The ghosts of the people that were destroyed in Joshua? So, um, keep thinking about that. If you have an answer, or if you think of something, let me know. Um, you see a little bit more a couple chapters later in Joshua, in chapter 14, you see what happens, which is interesting and, and relevant. So, this is not a dog and pony show. Um, chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 13. Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord. So, who did Joshua give it to? Caleb. Who is fighting for it in Judges? Caleb. Is this... A lot closer in timeline with the with what happened in Joshua 14, like in, in chapter 10. He said this is what happened to the rest of the city, right? It was kind of taken, but not totally, and they were still needing to conquer it. Or maybe this is an elaboration on, hey, Caleb, here it is. Go take it. Um, again, I don't know how much the timeline is overlapping here with the books. Um, and I've, 
already got that in here for Tommy to answer. This is my questions for Tommy, for those that weren't in here before. So, but I just find that interesting that um, maybe this is another piece of the puzzle of how Caleb tried to take um, Hebron and Debir. Um, and in Judges or in, in Joshua, maybe it says this is what eventually happened. Like it, it was destroyed. Here's how it was destroyed. So, um, any thoughts about that before we go on to the how it was destroyed? So you guys can't tell me, can't reconcile that for me, the timelines. And then Hebron. So disappointed. No, go ahead. And then Hebron, because it was a city of refuge, was sort of taken away from Caleb or Othniel or whoever. Or Benjamites or whoever. And, and given to the Levites as a right. city. So, okay. Right, yeah. The Levites live there That's too. The city. It's, it's like a... Yeah. I'm trying to remember what... <clears throat> a white elephant party and mm-hmm. stealing the gifts and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you think that's what happened with Hebron? It's yes. just caught up in a white elephant. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <coughs> okay, um... So, uh, I think that's an interesting observation, though, to see maybe these overlap um, some. So, how does Caleb get Hebron? Um, and uh, specifically, uh, he goes on to Kiriath Sefer. How does he go about obtaining some of the, at least one of these cities? You look like you got a. You look like you got a question. Yeah, could you repeat the question, please? Oh yes. So um, I'm just trying to move us along the timeline here. Uh, in verse 12, what does Caleb decide to do in order to try and help get some help conquering these cities? Giving his daughter away for. Yes. Yes. I. I haven't tried this myself yet, uh, but it is it is a method. Like it is a that is one way to do it is just to offer your daughter to whoever you want uh, to conquer your cities. And who is it that takes up the challenge? Othniel, right, right. Which is what relation to Caleb? His brother's nephew, his brother's son, or his nephew, right? Which means he's offering his daughter, and the person that takes it up is her cousin, right? So, uh, yes, well, it's her cousin, it's his nephew, yeah, it's her cousin, his nephew, yeah. Um, so Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, um. So Caleb gave his daughter to Aksa to him in marriage. Um, it is in the hill country, so they probably had some banjos and some inbreeding there. Um, so um, let's see. I want to make sure I've got. I thought it was interesting to see how she was persuading her husband to ask the yes. father. Uh, for some land. Right? right, yes, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, T- tell me what happens there. Elaborate on that. Yeah, what I understood is that uh, she, she won. instead of 
she herself asking the father, she wanted her husband, her son-in-law to ask the right. father-in-law. And father-in-law gave the marriage. Right? right, yeah, so she has some land in the south, which Negev just means in the south. Um, and uh, then she asked for something else, right? She she doesn't just want land. Spring something. Yeah. Maybe that was the best place there. Right, and so the that place is yeah the Negev. Yeah, that just that word just means south. Yeah. So when you say they gave you gave me land in Negev, it's just you gave me some land in the south, um, part of your territory. So. Um, I also would like some um, pool, some water, springs of water. Yeah. Um, and depending on your translation, do you have a uh, footnote there where it says, um, one day she came to Othniel in verse 14. She urged him. Mm -hmm. What does your footnote say? He urged her. He urged her. Okay, so the Septuagint, which again is the... Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible in that time says she urged him. I'm no, sorry, says he urged her. Yeah. Um, he urged her. So, one way or another, she ends up asking for some pools. Um, and he, Caleb, uh, sees them talking about it and says, What, what do you guys, what can I do for you? So he gave her the springs, uh, the upper and lower springs. Did you notice uh, anything else about that section? Anything thus far that we haven't talked about that you noticed when we were reading through? So does it mean that uh, verse 16 says descendants of Moses's father-in-law, that is Kenai, they went and lived among the people of the desert of Judah and Negev. That means the native people they lived against among the people instead of driving them away. Uh, correct. Um, they went up from the city of Palms with the people of Judah to live among the inhabitants of the desert. Yes. So they did not. Them Correct. Yeah. They just parked in amongst themselves, amongst them, right? It's the way I'm reading that as well. Yep. Yeah. And why? Why are you asking that? Why do you ask that? I thought they were trying to chase all of them away and capture, uh, take over the place. But instead of doing that, they wanted to live among them. Right. They did not want them to leave the city. Right. Okay. Good. That, that's correct. That's correct. And again, that's going to be a theme. Uh, wait till we get to the next few verses. Um, by the way, I forgot to mention Othniel possibly means God is my help or God is my strength. Uh, and then Axa uh, translated means adorned. So she was probably uh, beautiful. And that's why Caleb was using her as uh, a reward for... Um, uh, trying to capture this city, um, but yeah, good, uh, good observation on that. So um, it's, it talks about the descendants of Moses's father-in-law, the Kenite. Which, who is Moses's father-in-law? 
Well, this says he was a Kenite, but if you read in Exodus, who was it? Jethro, right? Um, I'm not. Does it say his nationality there? I didn't look. I didn't think he was a Kenite. Yeah, he's a Midianite, right? So um, I don't know if Moses maybe had another wife that we don't know about, um, but uh, he had a father-in-law and a brother-in-law in. Um, Later on in Joshua, oh, Joshua 4, is it Joshua 4? I think it's Judges 4. Yeah, Judges 4 mentions in verse 11, Heber the Kenite, uh, Moses' brother-in-law, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law. So, uh, but um, it says that they live among the people, um, what else did you notice in um, that section at the end of uh, 16, 17 uh, through 19? Judah and Simeon took some more land and renamed them all. Good. Yep. They destroyed um, um, the Zephath. I was going to say the cities were the ones that Gaza, Ashkelon, Ekron. Um, always think of those as the Philistine cities that by that in the time of Saul and David. These are the ones you keep hearing about over right. and over. Right. Right. So, um, so uh, one one thing that Boyd brought up, they got rid of them from the hill country, but then Boyd, what happened uh, when they tried to run them off the plain? Well, I noticed my version reads a little bit differently. Okay. It said they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. Right. Yeah, this mine says they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had out had chariots fitted with iron. Yeah. So, um, any any thoughts about that? Is that a good excuse? Good reason? Stop listening to the Lord. Right. They did as they wanted to do. They forgot about what God could do. Right. Um, it's interesting in chapter 4, listen to this, verse 13 uh, says um, Sisera summoned from Herosheth, Hagoyim, to the um, to the Kishon River, all his men and his 900 chariots of iron. And then in verse 15, Barak, so he's asking Deborah, do we, should we go conquer these people? Will you go with us? In verse 15, it says, at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and ran on foot. So, was it the chariots of iron? It wasn't in chapter four. I don't think it is in chapter one either, right? That was that was a justification for fearing and not trusting God. Okay, uh, anything else um, on those the first nineteen verses? Not to make excuses for them or anything, because they should have kept on trusting God. But it may have been that the that the chariots of iron were just suddenly a very new thing because. 
they're going from the hill country where it seems like there wouldn't have been right. chariots to the plain, which seems where chariots would be, you know, a very good strategic advantage to have. And so when they got up to the plane, they were like, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? Yeah. We could beat these guys in the hills, but now that we're down here, we're on their playing field. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Andrew? Wasn't it Ephraim or Manasseh that complained about the iron chariots in Joshua also? Uh, yes, I think you're right. I'm trying to find it. Uh, Joshua 17. Um, the hill country is not enough for us. Yeah, Ephraim. The sons of Joseph said that hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the valley land have chariots of iron, both of uh, both those who are in Bashin and its towns, and those in the valley of Jezreel. Um, and so it was Ephraim and Asa complaining about it then too. Yeah. To Joshua. So yeah. It's Good. Not a, it's, I mean, they at least know what's going on, I guess. Right. And to me, that's maybe a little more evidence that we're talking about really similar time periods. Um, maybe even over overlapping here, and maybe we're we're seeing some of this actually taking place there at the end of Joshua. Um, so really quickly, let's read through the rest. I think we're going to be able to summarize this really really easily because it's there's really one theme starting in verse twenty. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove from it three sons of Anak. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Now the tribes of Joseph attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with them. When they, went, when they sent men to spy out Bethel, formerly called Luz, the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Show us how we get into the city, and we will see that you are treated well. So he showed them, and they put the city to the sword, but spared the man and his whole family. He then went to the land of the Hittites where he built he then went to the land of the Hittites where he built a city and called it Luz. He liked that name. Um, or Luz, which is its name to this day, and the people who live there are the Luzers. Oh no, I added that, sorry. Um, but Manasseh did not drive out the people of Beth Shan or Ta'anak or Dor or Iblim or Megiddo and their surrounding and surrounding settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nahalal. So these Canaanites lived among them, but Zebulun did subject them to forced labor. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Akko or Sidon or Alab or Akzib or Helba or Aphek or Rehob. The Asherites lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land because they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out the, those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath. But the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land and those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. And the Amorites were determined also to hold out in Mount Heres, Ajalon, and Sheolbim. But when the power of the tribes of Joseph increased, they too were pressed into forced labor. The boundary of the Amorites was from Scorpion Pass to Selah and beyond. Okay, so what's the theme of that section? They did 
not drive out. Right. Rachel, right? Yeah. They didn't they didn't drive them out, they just let them live there. Yeah. And uh, then Joseph the house of Joseph was able to beat the uh, right Bethel. Uh, he was able to succeed, right? Good, yes. It, yes. It, it, uh, but uh, to me interesting, one time it says the, uh, that city is still called loose, but on the other hand it says Bethel. It was known as loose, so I'm not sure whether they are talking about the same place. Right, yeah, so it sounds like this guy, they conquered that city, except for one man who showed them how to get in the back door. And then he went, he built another city, and he called it Luz again, right? Um, So now you got the city formerly known as Luz and new Luz down the road, I guess, is the way I picture that. In this version, 23, verse 23, when they sent men to spy out Bethel, formerly called the Luz. Right, (laughs) right, yeah. It's the same place, but... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they renamed the cities after they conquered them. Yeah. So, um, that's key because uh, I think in I think seven times um, it mentions that they did not drive out the inhabitants and thus we have this cycle starting. They don't drive them out. They're influenced by them um, and uh, are plagued by them. So. And it is interesting, it is still that 